Just a reminder of what we've been talking about. We've essentially been building up to this point throughout the whole series. Talking about the fact that our lives are lived out of our deeply held beliefs about who God is and what he's done for us and, and who we are as a result of that. In every action, every attitude, everything that we have going on out here in our life is the fruit of what our lives are actually rooted in. And so we've spent the last several weeks talking about this, rehearsing this, and uh, briefly I'm just going to, with my amazing Trinity symbol here, uh, I'm going to dive in and just remind us of what we talked about. And we kind of brought it all together last week that God is Father. He's a Father. How many of you are thankful that He's a Father? He's a father that's loved us so much, and he's brought us into family. While we were far away, while we were his enemies, he adopted us into his very own family. And now he's called us to love him and to, I'm going to draw a heart here and just write the word love, love others. This is our call as a family of Christ. And it's not something we just do or something we try to be. Family is who we are. Right? We talked about this last week, that God says something, and it is so. God speaks, let there be light, and there was what? Light, that's it. So we are a family because God is a father and loved us and brought us into family. But God is also son. And as a son, what do we say? The son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And one of the things that Jesus talks to his disciples about, and we've walked through all of this, but they're vying for power. They're trying to figure out, hey, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, who's going to sit on your right hand? Who's going to sit on your left? You know, I, I would like it to be me personally. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Power in the kingdom is very different than what you're used to. Because to be the greatest in the kingdom, you have to become what? Least. To be, to, what is it the first shall be? last and the last shall be first. So we're called, just as God, the Son, has served us, we are most like Him when we are living out of our identity as servants who serve Him by serving others. Especially what Jesus says is the least of these. And I'm just briefly recapping what we talked about last week so that we can um, jump on it all again. Uh, this week and build on it for this last kind of question of how do we live as a church then? So we are a family of servants who serve the least of these because when we were the least of these, that's what God did to us. He served us. And lastly, he is the Holy Spirit who sent Jesus to save us and um, has sent us on mission. Jesus came as a missionary, God on mission for our hearts when we were running far away. And now we are sent by the Holy Spirit and we're sent out into a world who's broken and hurting and longing for the truth. So we are a family of missionary servants. All right. So we're all caught up. This is essentially what we've walked through the series and talked about. And last week, what we did was we took a time at the end and we said, where are we not living in a light with this? As a community, me personally, where am I not believing that I'm family? How is my life not displaying family? Where am I not believing that I'm a servant, but instead I'm vying for power? I'm trying to be the greatest instead of the least. Where am I not living as a missionary? Where is our church not living as this? Because this is an identity. It's an identity that's rooted in the very identity of God and his character. And the, but it doesn't stop there. And this is where we want to take the conversation today. We want to build on that and say we also live this out in three different directions. There's three directions that we live out our identity. And if we're not careful, what we can do is live very unbalanced lives. Live very skewed lives towards certain directions, toward our personal preferences. And if that's the case, then what ends up happening is we miss out on a healthy, balanced life. And we end up killing ourselves trying to be a good Christian instead of living out who God made us to be in the directions that he's lived that out. And so we're going to turn to Luke chapter 6 and see this in Jesus' very own life. So if you have your Bibles or smartphones, turn with me to Luke chapter 6. And I want you, as, as you look at this passage, to see if you can spot these three kind of genres of relationship, these three directions, if you will, that Jesus lived his life. 
Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 9. If you don't have a Bible, we have some up here for you. We'll also just throw them up on the screen for convenience sake. Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 9. In these days, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. If you were going to pause there and say, what direction is that, that you see Jesus living this out? It's an upward direction, right? We see Jesus living, actually, this was great, but I should probably erase it, because we're going to start with a fresh whiteboard here today. We see Jesus living an upward life toward God, prayer. And this isn't isolated, is it? Is this an isolated incident where Jesus prays all night or where the disciples wake up and they're like, hey, Jesus is praying. No, Jesus does this all the time. In fact, he does it so much that disciples say, hey, teach us to pray like you pray. There's something powerful. There's something different about the way you live your life that we are missing out on, that we want to learn from. So Jesus calls them into an upward life, and you see him model this over and over I do not my own works. I do what the Father has me do. Throughout Luke, you see him empowered by the Holy Spirit, listening to the Holy Spirit, doing everything that the Holy Spirit tells him to do, a very upward life. Let's keep going. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12 whom he named apostles, Simon whom he named Peter, Andrew his brother, James and John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, Simon who was also called a zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Judas. Okay, so (laughs) we see this upward relationship that Jesus walks in with his father. But how would you characterize this other relationship that we see him walking in, this other direction? It's it's inward, isn't it? It's a sense of community. So we're just going to write in here. We used to call this... Actually, I'll wait till we're done. We used to make, make this very complicated, but we've just decided to go with up, in, and I bet you can't guess the last. Ooh, somebody's paying attention. Let's jump to the last part of this passage. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem on the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and be healed of their, their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured and all the crowd that sought to touch him for power came out of him and healed them all. So we see Jesus walking with his father, walking with his disciples in his community and also living in an area that I think when we think about the ministry of Christ, we tend to think about this a lot. The miracles, the signs, the wonders, the teaching, the multiplying of the loaves and fishes. We think of Jesus always in this area ministry, right? But Jesus has this very balanced life, right? You see almost immediately after the woman with the issue of blood touches the hem of his garment, right? You guys remember that passage? What does Jesus do? He says, virtues left me. And then almost following immediately after that, he goes and gets away with the father. He's got to replenish that strength because he's pouring out his life as it were for the needs around him, for the mission of God. He's got to replenish that. So Jesus has this upward, inward, and outward direction. And this is so key because I think many of us are predisposed to living, whether whether it's intentional or not, very unbalanced lives. Lives that are very focused in one direction or another. Right? I, I love, I love the sense of community that we have at this church. But if we're not careful, what we can do is idolize that to such a degree that we can miss out on our walk with dad and we can totally forsake mission, right? So it's so important that we as individuals and we as a church think about our life through the three directions or the three kinds of relationships that Jesus lived. And let me just, let me ask you guys a question. As you look at this, just think for a second. In your own personal life, which one of these areas are the strongest? Which one are you like, man, yeah, God's given me a lot of grace. I've grown in this area. Maybe it's, maybe it's up. Maybe you have a powerful, like, you wake up every morning and 
you're already like just, just crying listening to Hillsong and making coffee. Maybe that's you. <laughs> Confession, that's not me, all right? But maybe that's you. Or maybe you're just like, the moment you wake up, you're, you're, you're like connecting with people on Facebook and, hey, I'm praying for you right now. Maybe that's, maybe that's your thing. Or maybe you just get to work and you're just like, in tune with the spirit and you're just like talking to people and seeing people come to Christ and you're doing everything for the glory of God. I don't know, but maybe you're strong in one of these areas. Let me ask you this. What, what area are you the weakest in? If you're, if you're going to look at your life and just be honest with yourself, nobody else can hear you. Which one? Which one are you the weakest in? Which one do you need the most growth in? Because we all generally tend toward one of these. Let me ask you guys a question. Let's dialogue for a second. When you look at this, um, if you were to think, just take, take a second and think about this. Um, what is the result of not living an upward-focused lifestyle and relating to God? Marco. Become a slave to other people? Sure. Absolutely. Good. Yeah, what else? Mm. Feeling like your faith is hollow or counterfeit. Yeah, because you're doing all kinds of stuff for God, but you're not really walking with God, right? In the power of the Spirit. Yeah, Hannah. Mm. So you're not, you're not growing as a result of your walk with God. You're just kind of about the daily business of being a Christian. Yeah. Mm. Being stagnant. So good. Slave to your negative side. Slave to negativity. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I heard the word distraction in there, yeah? So it's easy. How many of you guys have found it's super easy to get distracted when your mind is not focused on, on Christ and God and his love for you? Yeah. Anybody else? How about if we were, let's, let's take a second and say, I mean, one quick point I would say, Jesus Christ says, abide in me and what? You will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Yet so much, if I'm just going to be open and honest today, as a, as a broken, imperfect pastor, so much of my life, I, I spend focused more in this area. And I'm missing out on the power of God for the purposes of God because I'm not taking as much time as I, as I could to enjoy the presence of God, to really rest in his power for his purposes. Amen? Cool. So abide in me, you will bear much fruit. How about this? If we forsake an inward life with community, what, what could be some of the negative results of that? Isolated. Isolated. Yeah. Lone Ranger Christian. Yeah, yeah. What else? Overwhelmed. Yeah, the Bible says to bear one another's burdens. Celebrate with one another. Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. You miss out on that when you're the Lone Ranger Christian. Even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. Come on. What else? Yeah, David. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's, it's really easy to just surround yourself with people very much like you. Because that's easier, right? It, God forbid I surround myself with people different from me that would maybe get on my nerves or rub me or challenge me to grow. Mm, yeah, good. Marco. Say that one more time. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. So you're not being part of making it the church. Yeah. And that's, that's something that can really easily happen, right? Is it's like, I don't like this church the way they do this kind of a thing. And, and so I'm going to go to another church that maybe has that right. But then eventually you find the perfect church. That's what ends up happening, right? <laughs> no, yeah, maybe if you die and you go to heaven, then you find the perfect church. In the meantime, all the churches around this city are broken and in need. And God has called us to be the church with one another, to bring our gifts, to bring our personalities into one another's lives, to invite one another into our lives and to challenge one another to grow, to speak the truth in love. That is a picture of community. And it's 
Hopefully not a bunch of people that look and dress and act and think exactly like me. Hopefully it's a lot of people that are very differently, different from me and different life experiences, different personalities, different preferences, maybe even different ways of seeing God. That's going to challenge me to grow. It's going to cause me to grow in so many more ways. Community that's diverse is beautiful. We're looking for unity in diversity, not uniformity, right? Yeah. Was that quote, in an all blue world, there is no color. So think about it. Anyway, so upward, inward. How about if we don't live an outward focused life? What if we're just like, you're, you're that guy, you're very like, you pray every morning and then you hang out with, you know, your faithful few, us four no more. We're the cool club. We've all got our stuff together. We agree on the right doctrine, but we're not about mission. What, what does that life look like? Yeah, absolutely. We've got it together. They don't. Self-righteous. Look down on others. Kenny. You can lack a sense of purpose. What is the point of the power of God? Isn't it for the purposes of God? Yeah. There's a world out there of people who are looking for answers. They're looking for for something greater to live for. They're looking for a savior for their life. And here we sit having the answers and gleefully celebrating every Sunday and singing beautiful songs and going out and never telling them a reason for the hope that they, they could have. Yeah. We miss out on seeing God move in big ways. Yeah, that's so good. Can you you guys see the importance of living our identity out in these three ways? So what we're going to do, this isn't just an isolated thing. This also shows up in the early church. And I want us to turn to Acts chapter 2. And we're going to talk about our church now and why we do what we do. And why we want to continue to do certain things and change up other things. And so we're going to go to Acts chapter 2 verses 1 through 4. And we're going to see the same kind of flow. I'm just going to start reading for time's sake. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together. Everybody say together. Together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Man, if that happened today, that'd be crazy. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting in divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. I just want to pause and remind us what the, the context for this. In Acts chapter 1-8, Jesus, right before he departs, says, you're going to go into the whole world, you're going to preach the gospel, but wait, hurry up and wait. Go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Spirit, and you will receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses all over the world, right? This is what Jesus says. And so here is the church faithfully gathering together, waiting for the power of the Spirit to fall on them. And they're praying, and they're worshiping, and they're waiting. Lord, we want you to move. And I love, I love this because If we're not careful in the missional world, one of the things we can do is throw the baby out with the bathwater almost and say the gathering on Sunday isn't important. It was very important in the early church. In fact, in a time of persecution, uh, the, the writer of Hebrews says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together in so much the more as you see the day approaching. Because Christians are persecuted, they're going through difficult times, they're finding it hard to gather together. And he says, you guys need to get together, strengthen one another, encourage one another, worship God, see him high and lift it up. You need this time to gather together. And so I'm just going to write that word over here. So they gather. And I love the reversal here. The reversal, just think about this for a second. In the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, perfect, walking with each other in perfect harmony, walking with God. Sin comes into the world as they eat the fruit. And what immediately happens? You guys remember? 
naked and ashamed. Yeah, they run and they cover up and they hide from one another. They hide from God and they're removed from the garden. Sin separates. Sin destroys unity. Sin helps, has us cover up, right? But it isolates us. But what we see when the Spirit falls, what happens? When the Spirit falls, it's, it's a group of people hanging out together, and all of a sudden, it starts to spill out on the streets. It's a, it's a beautiful picture of unity. It's a beautiful picture of the power of God at work as they're unified together. It says they were all together in unity in one place. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 5. Let's keep going. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. As the sound of this multitude came together, they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? And we hear them telling in our own tongues, I'm going to skip on down, the mighty works of God. And they were all amazed and perplexed and saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They're just filled with new wine. These guys are drunk. And Peter stands up and says, They're not drunk. Because it's only the third hour of the day, right? He says, standing up with the eleven, he lifted up his voice and addressed them, saying, Men of Judea, listen to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And then um, skip on down. I don't have time for his whole sermon, but at the end it says, And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from the crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So this unity happens. And the unity happens, first of all, with God and his church, because God removes Adam and Eve from his presence in the garden, remember? And then what ends up happening? God dwells far from his people. But after he calls Abraham, after he has a people wandering through Sinai, you see a tabernacle in the middle of his people. You guys remember that? Where the presence of God could dwell close to his people. And a priest could go in once a year and perform this sacrifice and get somewhere near the presence of God. But if anyone touched that tabernacle, the holiness of God would strike them down because they were broken and sinful and, and, and they weren't pure. What a... What a what a scary, like, awe-inspiring picture. The holiness of God and how broken we are as sinful humans. Yet, it doesn't stop there. God keeps getting closer, right? And in the life of Jesus, we see God, uh, as Eugene Peterson says, the word of God became flesh and tabernacled among us. So we see Jesus now in flesh, and he actually goes up, and he'll touch a sinner, and he'll heal a leper. And he cares about people. And they're not struck dead by his holiness anymore, are they? But they're able to be in the presence of God. He's coming nearer. And now in this passage, we see the Holy Spirit, because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, fall into broken, sinful humans. And the power and presence of God take up a residence in their life. Do you realize what you have in the Holy Spirit? Do you realize that God himself has taken up residence in your life? That what was destroyed at Eden, that relationship between God and man walking in unity has been restored because Jesus Christ has called you righteous. Because he took on the weight of your sins and says, you're holy, you're clean, you're mine. I'm going to fill you with my spirit. So we've been unified and then we've been sent out. The moment the Holy Spirit hits, it spills out on the streets, doesn't it? What's the point of the gathering? Why do we gather on Sunday? The gathering is for the going. The gathering is so we come together and we worship and we see God high and lifted up and we're instructed in how to live a better life in light of his holiness and his perfection. And then we go out into a world and we take the love of God with us and the power of God with us and the good news of the gospel. So we gather and we go. Spills out in the streets. And then lastly, Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, we have a picture of the community, the inward. Let's go over here. Go. All right, we have a picture of the inward life of the community. 
And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and breaking of bread and of the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So we gather, we go, and the Lord adds daily as we live the life of the community on display for people around us. We grow. And that's this beautiful picture that we see. 3,000 people are added to the church on this day. The first megachurch, boom! First megachurch. Why? How did that happen? Was it because Peter's message was just so, like, you know, he had, he had planned it out for several months in advance. He had an awesome PowerPoint. And people were like, "That's you know what? This is the church I'm going to join. It's, the PowerPoint's really together. Is that, is that what we see happen? It was the worship band. I think that's what it was. Yeah, the fog machine. No. What, what we see happen here is the Spirit of God pours out and 3,000 people are added to the church. You know what's interesting about that? Just a side point for those of us who, who love theology and like to geek out on that stuff. Anybody know about the first Pentecost that happened at the foot of Sinai when the Spirit of God descended on the mountain and gave Moses the law, and there were strange voices and sounds of thunder in the clouds, and there was a rebellion among the camp. You guys remember that? And the ground opened up and swallowed 3,000 people. The first Pentecost, 50 days after the Passover, was a pretty broken time. 3,000 people. Sin brings death. But what do we see the Spirit do in this passage? Tongues, sounds of wind, this amazing movement, the birth of the church, that the Holy Spirit comes and writes His law on our hearts, as it were. And 3,000 people come to life, come to faith. The Spirit, the sin brings death, but the Spirit brings life. Sin brings separation, but the Spirit brings unification, unity, right? You see this. This is how the church is born. We need the Holy Spirit, amen? So the church from the beginning has this natural rhythm, up, in, and out. And I want to stop talking for a second, and I want to ask you guys to tell me how the life of the church should look. For the last few minutes that we have here, how should the life of the church look if we are, in fact... Family, missionary, servants. And if you can't read my writing, just memorize it. Family of missionary servants. <laughs> if that's actually who we are, if that's an identity that's rooted in the very identity of God, if everything we've spent the last, the last 12 weeks or so talking about is true, then... What does it look for us to live like a family in the upward direction and relation of our life? Let's take, let's take a minute on each of these real quick. How can we live as a family in an upward, worship-centered, focusing on God together direction of our life? What are some ways we could do that? Pray together. Boom. Yeah. Just like the early church in Acts 2. What else? What are some other things we could do? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so we could do, are we talking about like the gathering? Like having, yeah, gathering together, praying together, having worship services on Sundays. Yeah, what else? Anything else? As a family, yeah. Okay, yeah, and that, that would be as, probably as servants and out. So, but let's talk like family, as a family, we could serve out together, couldn't we? We could love the community. As a family, we can worship together, we can pray together. How can we live this inward direction together as a family? What are some ways we can do that? Emily. Meeting each other's physical needs. There are people who are sick in our community. I, I just talked to a girl a couple of weeks ago who had been really sick, and she was so thankful. She said, because I, I was so sick that I couldn't even get out of bed to get myself to the hospital or get myself food. And my missional community came around and loved me and got me there. What a beautiful picture of family, serving physical needs. 
or, or financial needs, all these kinds of needs that come up. Yeah, what else? Barca. Bearing with others and bearing their burdens. Yeah, which is always easy. Yeah, because most people's burdens are light and they don't really affect our schedules or our bank accounts or anything like that. Yeah, we could care for one another as family, right? Yes. Being loyal to each other. Yeah, that's so good. How, how many of you guys wish you could change your family, but you don't? It's my dad, you know? I, he's always going to be my dad. He's a little crazy, but he's family, right? Imagine if the church thought of each other that way. This is my family. Yeah. How about out? So up, we would gather together. We would pray together, worship together. In, we would, we would take care of one another's needs. We would love one another, serve one another. How about in the outward sense as a family? What are some ways we could live in this outward direction together as a family? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I love that, how Peter says, live such good lives among the heathens, that they see your good works and glorify our Father who's in heaven, right? We'd be intentional with our neighbors, our coworkers, of showing them family in such a way that they're drawn to our Father, through our love for one. By this will all men know you're my disciples, what? by your love for one another. As we live as a family of God, loving one another, caring for one another, that glorifies God. That shows people that there's something different about those guys. Austin. Mm. So good. So good. We get to love people and invite people into family before they have all their act together. Amen? We get to allow people to belong before they uh, behave. Why do we like alliteration so much as preachers? I don't know. I had to find a B word. Belong, behave. Um, but you guys know what I mean, right? Before somebody has all their stuff together, we get to allow them. Think about this. The disciples were called disciples before they even proclaimed that Jesus Christ was Lord. Right? So there's a sense in which just our life together, inviting people in to experience the life of Christ in the community is beautiful. We get to treat them like family even though they may not be yet. Yeah. That's so good. Have you guys experienced that before? Chantel, yeah, that's why you're here. That's awesome. Yeah, Chantel and Brian, we went to get pho one Sunday afternoon. We were hanging out and eating pho. You guys know what pho is, right? Vietnamese know? Okay. They're all like, is he, what's he saying? Um, and, and we just struck up a conversation. They were like, we just love the vibe. We love what you guys are doing. What, where are you guys from? And we're like, we're a church family. And now here, here she sits. I'm going to be at your dentist office tomorrow. It's awesome for my team. So, yeah, it's a beautiful picture of family. Uh, how about this? Let's keep going. How about missionary? How can we live our missionary identity in an upward fashion? What, what could that look like? Wait on the Holy Spirit. Yeah, like, like they did in Acts chapter 2. How much of my mission in my life or in our life do we just try to go do certain things without waiting on the power of the Holy Spirit to empower his mission? Marco. We could pray for people who are not in the church. Yeah. Amen to that. Yeah. Yeah, you could spend time sharpening the sickle so, so as it were for the harvest. That's a weird analogy. Actually, now that I say it, because we're not in an agrarian culture. But yes, let's just go with what you said, which is you could learn things theologically in order to express them to people in a way that connects with their hearts. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so good. Pray some prayers that really stretch your faith so that when something happens, you say, yeah, that, that wasn't us, that was God. 
He gets the glory. There's no way we could have pulled that off. Yeah, Avi. Yeah. That's it, yeah. Don't be ashamed to declare the gospel, right? We want to demonstrate it. We want to lead by showing people, and then they start asking. But at the end of the day, sometimes I think we can uh, focus so much on living it out that we're almost afraid to talk about it. Or that we're in a culture where so many people have talked about it and door knocked and handed out the tracts and told people with the signs, God is a God of judgment and you're going to hell. And that's kind of like what they lead with, that we're almost afraid to share the good news of our faith. Yeah, good, good. So we want to demonstrate and declare the gospel. That's great. How about uh, this last one? This one's kind of obvious. Missionary in the outward sense. But what are some ways as the church we can do that? We can live up that identity. Yes, Erica. Okay. Yeah, we can invite people to the gathering. We can invite people to our missional community. We can invite them into our lives. Great. Yeah. You were... mm. Yeah, into things you're passionate about. Like, yeah, that's great. Great. What are some other ways? Maybe besides just inviting, which is definitely awesome and valid. Yeah, Katie. Mm. Yeah. I'll tell you what, you're hitting on a great point, actually. Because I think one of the things we can do is we can look at this uh, family missionary servant identity and really limit it and instead replace it with these directions. So let me clarify something. Um, This is not about our personality, introvert, extrovert. Oh, I don't live outwardly because I'm an introvert, so I don't talk to other people about Jesus. Or I'm an extrovert, so I just don't like help shepherding people, or I'm gifted as an evangelist. That's what I do. So you go meet with other Christians. I don't do that, (laughs) right? I'm going to be out there winning the lost. Or, man, you know, I'm just a shepherd, and I'm afraid to talk to other people about Christ, but I love hanging around with just the family. If we're not careful, what we can do is we can really isolate ourselves in one of these directions and blame it on our personality or our gift set. And that's that's not healthy. Right? One of, one of the best evangelists I know, Kenny and I know, um, and many of you actually, Sean Franklin, who was here and now lives in Brooklyn, but Sean brought people to Christ, and he was one of the most introverted, artistic guys I know, but he was a gifted evangelist. It was a one-on-one conversation with somebody who didn't know Jesus yet. He's great at that. And so, yeah, so absolutely, we can, um, yeah, is that kind of what you were saying at all? Yeah. Yeah, an evangelist isn't just about people who are not believers. An evangelist is a gospel proclaimer, right? Evangelion is what? The good news. That's the gospel. An evangelist proclaims the gospel because they're excited about it to everybody, whether they're a believer or not a believer. I need evangelists in my life to speak the truth to me, even though I believe the gospel because there's areas in my life where I'm not believing in a moment. And I need somebody to remind me of the good news one more time and evangelize my heart again. Okay, so evangelist isn't about out and shepherd about in. Got it? This is a gift set that works in every area, every direction of our life. Yep. Good. And lastly, serving. How can we serve in an upward fashion, upward direction? I'm trying to push through real quick because we've got, I know we've got bounce houses and and Thai food on our minds. Anybody, how can we serve in an upward fashion? Yeah. Become more loyal to God. Yeah. We serve God while we serve one another, don't we? Yeah. Anybody else? Every time we serve, serve as unto the Lord. Amen. Yeah. How about this? Serving inward. What are some ways we can serve within the body? Kind of covered some of this a little bit already. Somebody just give me one thing. We'll keep going. Yeah, David. Mm. Yeah. How can I help shoulder your burdens? What are you going through right now? Check in with people. How many of you guys have found it difficult in your life when you're going through something tough to put it out there? 
Isn't it nice when people are asking how you're doing and they're not just saying it like, hey, how you doing? You know, like Joey on Friends, how you doing? You know, they actually care. They want to hear an answer. Isn't that nice? Yeah, so we could actually be proactive about that. Care for one another. Good. Anything else? Hannah. Yeah, so serve people by opening up your life to them so they can come in. That's great. Yeah. How about this last one? How can we serve in an outward way? When you think city, when we think not inside the church but outside the church, what are some ways that we can live out this servant identity outward? Yeah. Mm. He's so wise. (laughs) To reach out to help people without expecting anything in return. So good. Yeah, Austin. Mm. Yeah. So good. Yep. Yep, we can work to make sure that people... Yep, it's good. What else? Anything else? Help your neighbor out. Serve your neighbors. How about serve your city? How about, or one of the things that some of us have done, we've served on community boards and neighborhood boards to try to help shape the landscape of the culture, as it were, even in our city. There's there's thousands of ways we could serve. So, just a refresher. We are a family of missionary servants who have been given, baptized into the name of Father, Son, and Spirit. This is a new identity that we have. A father who loved us, invited us into family, Son who served us and called us servants, a Holy Spirit who, who was sent on the mission of God and has now sent us. Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so send I you. This is our identity as the church. That's where we want to start. When we start talking about how we gather as the church or what we do as the church, we don't want to start with just practical things. We want to start with what the Bible says about who we are in light of who God is and what he's done. Amen. We want to root it. And so, and we live this out in three different directions, up, in, and out. Now, just really quickly, the way that we do this is I'm going to draw. You guys are going to think I'm a geometry nerd or that I just love triangles, but that's okay because we're just going to stick with triangles for right now. So as individuals, we do this through CBR, and that is we get... We get down with the Bible and the Lord every day, and we have a time of worship. We allow him to change us within, and we're sent out on mission from what God has said to us in the Word. But it's not just about us as individuals. It's about us getting together in something called DNA. Anybody know what DNA is? Discover, nurture, and act. This is an integral, beautiful part of our church where people are getting together and shepherding one another's hearts for the gospel. Right now, we have some active DNA groups. We have some people that get together weekly over coffee or wine or something, gals with gals, guys with guys, and they pray together, and they search the scriptures together. We also have a sense of DNA that's larger than that as missional communities will get together, and once a month, we'll have like a character-focused prayer night. And the guys will get off with the guys and the gals with the gals. And what we'll do is we'll, we'll pray and we'll say, man, what's going on in your life? How can I be praying for you? And then we'll say, that's amazing, man. I'm, I'm sorry to hear what's going on in your life. How can I pray for your heart in that? How can we see the gospel character of Christ being formed, not just in your circumstance, but in your character within you? And hold one another accountable and help each other grow. This fall, I'm super stoked. We've got a group coming in. Uh, called, some of you may have heard of World Harvest Mission, which recently changed their name to Surge, and they do a, a, a course called Sonship. It's so powerful, and they're going to come in for a weekend, and they're going to teach us how to ask gospel questions to one another, how to love one another well, to listen to each other's hearts. It's going to be an amazing course that's coming sometime in September to help us build up our identity as the church as shepherding one another toward the gospel. We also get together... Wow, this is, uh, this is going to be awesome. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Gospel communities. So 
CBR is very much an upward type of thing that we do daily for ourselves. DNA is an inward focus where we love one another and help one another. And gospel communities or missional communities are mostly outward focus. How can we get together and love our city well, love our neighborhood well? How can we live out our identity together? So it's not just a Bible study. It's not just a small group. It's more than that. It's, a, it's about how can we love? What are the needs around us? If I was really going to stop and look around my city, and we said this the other night in our, in our uh, gospel community. We said, man, if we were going to look down our street, what about our street is broken that if the kingdom of God was fully realized right now, it would look totally different? How can we bring that into reality as a community? How can we make a difference? How can we see people loved by the Father through our family? And then lastly, we get together on Sunday, and to avoid several triangles, I'm just going to write up and gathering. That's when our gospel communities come together. But the point of Sunday isn't to have a big sexy show. Fog machines, awesome bands, amazing PowerPoint, right? The point of Sundays is that we would be equipped for the mission of God. So when you look at the church and you say, why is New City different? What's different about us? This is what we do. We're trying to live out of our identity as the church in these directions. And this is so far what we've been doing. And some of it's working really well. We, have all, we just had some stories uh, in December of people whose lives have been changed as we've lived out the gospel in community on mission. So we've seen that. But also, there's some of it that's not, it's not ideal. It's not perfect. We're growing. We're two years old. We're learning. We're a baby church. And we're trying to do this better together. But you know how we grow? And I, this is, I can, see, I can see the restlessness. So I'm just going to start winding it down right now. Here's how we grow as a church. We don't just try to grow through, you know, having really awesome marketing on Facebook and whatnot. What we try to do is grow externally by growing internally. We want a healthy church. Do me a favor to help your neighbor wake up. I know you're awake, but just to wake your neighbor up, just look at him and say, I want to see you healthy. I want to see, I want to see you healthy. When something is healthy, it grows, doesn't it? And when we're healthy, when we're living a life that's up, in, and out, when we're living out our identity in these three directions, then I'm going to be healthy, and I'm going to be helping you be healthy. I'm going to be loving you and discipling you and entering into your mess and allowing you, I'm open the kimono and let you see my brokenness and take off the mask and let you see where I need the grace of God from you in my life. As we have that kind of health together as a church, and we're helping grow one another, and taking responsibility even for one another, we will not only be healthy, but our church will grow even numerically. Amen? How many of you guys want to see that happen? Yeah, there's way too many red chairs here. Like, that side needs to be full too. So, I'm super, super excited about this. But in order to do that, here's what we want to do. We want to take some time today to enter into this and ask ourselves these questions. We got some communion questions from up there. What areas of your life, so, and this is in order for you to be healthy, in order for you to think about your own life, what areas of your life up in and out are growing and which are struggling, why? We pondered this question earlier. I want you to think about that. Where, where am I not living all of life to the glory of God? How does Christ's perfect life in your place free you from the guilt of that? Jesus Christ became sin who knew no sin so that you could become the righteousness of God. This isn't like a, hey guys, you need to do it better. You need to get your act together at all because we've been forgiven, we've been loved, and Jesus Christ lived this perfect up in, out, like directions every day in his life. So you're not crushed under the weight of not doing this perfectly. You're freed from the guilt of that. You're forgiven at the cross. You've been loved. Your identity secure. But also, how can the Spirit empower you to grow in all three directions? In light of that, you've been forgiven. You've been loved. Is that love affecting your heart? Is the Spirit empowering your life on mission for God? So I want us to think about that. We're going to come down and we're going to take communion on this Palm Sunday. And then I'll give some directions as to when we're heading over and uh, dismiss us all.
Tom's going to come play. Um, I just want to pray over us. I know this was kind of a lot today, so I apologize for this, but it's, it's good. It's hard in a setting this large to explain why we do what we do as a church, but I think it's necessary. And there's a lot of room for growth in this. I want you to see this and not say, well, this is what our church does, and this is why we're so amazing. No, we're, we're really learning. We're broken. We're trying this out. This is a newer thing, and we want to see God glorified in San Diego. I want to see gospel saturation in San Diego. I want to see missional communities like, like communities of light littering the landscape of San Diego. I want to see leaders raised up. I want to see lives changed. That is our heart as a church. And in order to do that, we all have to grow in our health. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you that you've called us into the life of your son, that you've given us an unshakable identity, that nothing on heaven and earth can move. Our, on our worst day, we are still sons and daughters. And on our best day, even the most amazing stuff that we do, as, as David and Kirstie and I were talking earlier, our righteousness is just filthy rags before you. You are so good. You've loved us with such an amazing love. And I pray that today we wouldn't hear, as we have to in this, this series, how are we going to live in light of this, but we wouldn't hear a bunch of checklists that we wouldn't see ourselves in light of the areas that we fail. Oh man, I don't pray enough. I don't give enough. I don't serve enough. I don't love enough. But that we would remember the great cost at which you were willing to pay and, and purchase our lives back from the dead. That we're defined not by our work, but by Jesus Christ and him crucified. That we're forgiven and loved and accepted. And that in light of that, we would have our hearts so melted by the good news that we would want to live a new, exciting life together on mission. Have your way in us, Father. Help us to remember who we are in you. As we come down and have this time of confession, I pray we really enter into the areas where we're not living a balanced life. And we'd find grace for that and healing in Jesus' name.